Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York. And Boca Raton, Florida. It's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. Welcome back for another episode of the Freight 360 Podcast. Lots of Q&A today. You guys sent us your questions. We've got answers. What's that? Is it Radio Shack? You've got questions. We've got answers. You remember that? I do remember that. I don't know if that was Radio Shack, but I do remember that tagline. Uh, I don't even think that they're in business anymore, are they? They're like Circuit City, right? One of those uh, companies of the past. It's possible. I, I wouldn't be shocked either way, to be honest. Who knows? Well, welcome back. Another great episode. And keep sending us your questions. Keep sharing us with your friends. Keep liking our uh, podcast video version on YouTube and subscribe and wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps us rank better and the algorithm helps uh, other people find us. Um, so we appreciate it. We, um, what do we got here? Um, oh, you know what I wanted to ask you about, Ben? So everyone's talking about chat GPT, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone who's got a podcast has talked about it. So I want to take a minute and I want to ask you, what do you think is going to happen with just in general artificial intelligence, how will it affect the freight brokering world in general? Do you think there's going to be any impact in the short term or the long term? I think in the short term, it is a very useful tool that is going to help marketing teams. I think it's very useful for creating content. I mean, you and I are using it um, for various things. And I think like everything else, it's a very, very powerful tool. And the people that learned how to, that learn how to use it are going to benefit the people that don't are going to be at a severe disadvantage. Yes. And I think, I mean, they've already released actually, um, you know, everyone's talking about like how crazy GTP three is compared to two. Like it's just light years above the last one. Right. And they're saying, you know, you can have a conversation with this. In fact, I read something this week that GPT three now has passed the MCATs. So like literally if you fed in every question for your medical exam, it could answer it and score like well into like the top one percentile. So a lot of the questions are like, you know, the new one is going to be insane. Well, the developers of it, and I know this guy's name and I can't remember the top of my head, but the developers of OpenAI and them have already said GTP4 will not be much different than three. I heard that. Yeah. This has been the largest jump. And likely the next one will come. It's probably going to be in three to five years. But I mean, I follow a lot of this and there's some really good business cases that I think are going to have real impacts on our industry. I don't think they're around the corner, but I think in the next three years, they will. I think it'll help a lot with contract stuff, um, legal proceedings and matters. And those, you know, like when it comes to, like we're going to talk about a, a broker shipper contract today and I used um, GPT-3. I asked it to write me a, a ship or broker shipper contract and it actually did a decent job. So that's why I kind of wanted to bring it up just to see what your thoughts were. Um, I um, I do want to caution everybody, um, you know, people can smell and taste a canned email yes. from a mile away. So. Here's where I'll say that here's one of the business cases that I think has some real potential in our industry. And to be honest, I'm following this because selfishly, 
I want to be one of the few people that are going to be able to use this in ways that other people haven't thought of. Like, yeah. I really do want to be on the forefront of it. But one of the cases I think that has some applicable uses is there's a company, some guys I know they invested into that um, doctor's offices have a very, very cumbersome, long process of calling insurance companies to verify individual people's coverage and to go through this automated system. So every time there's a patient and a procedure needs approved or medication, some human being calls this automated system at the insurance company and waits and waits and goes through the prompts. And you're talking to a computer, right? So this group of people said, you know what? Let's create a computer that will talk to the computer. So yeah. rather than come up with this crazy convoluted system that links into the insurance, they just created an automated system that is literally built on GPT-3 that uses audio and it like will talk to the prompts at the insurance. So again, yeah. it's not good enough to really talk to a person. And everybody knows when you call the automated systems, which ones are good and which ones aren't. Um, some are better than others. But this was, I think, a really interesting way where a company has come up with a way to basically, instead of you hiring a bunch of people to do this all day, it's a program that will talk to the other program, which saves literally probably dozens, if not hundreds of hours on a monthly basis for doctor's office. So, I mean, really valuable tool. And I think there are some use cases in our industry for these things. I don't think we're there yet. And I think we're a few years away. Yeah. Well, in other news, the... Um this is worth noting that last night was a State of the Union address, and it was uh, it was definitely announced at the presidential level that there's a big push to get rid of non-competes. Uh, we know the Federal Trade Commission um, had, I don't remember if they either introduced legislation or they're just pushing for it or lobbying. I don't know what the deal was, but we talked about it about a month ago, and now it's being... Uh, talked about at the presidential level. So, I mean, again, in politics, you hear about stuff doesn't always happen or it doesn't happen right away or or in the way that it's um, first described, but it's definitely on the radar and um, glad to... Uh, well, and here's, I think, to that point, I mean, one of the largest, if not the largest indicator of whether or not inflation is going to be going in line or it's still not where they want it to be are the labor numbers. So the employment numbers every month, and they've been going up, meaning like the opposite of what they expected to happen. There are employment at, is at its lowest level unemployment ever, and there's still lots and lots of jobs out there. So pay rates are going up for companies. That's causing inflation. Well, one of the things the government wants to do is to not have you know people's basically salaries be going completely out of whack because- People are spending more. If you always think you can make more money, you're less likely to restrict your spending, which is what's causing inflation. So that's one of the number one reasons. And it would make sense because non-competes literally impede people's ability to take the job that is a better fit for them, right? Like it's the opposite of free trade. It's the yeah. opposite of capitalism. And I think it's kind of ironic that most of these companies that, you know, especially the bigger ones that have literally built their companies on the backs of non-competes, I think. Yeah. have gone about this in not exactly the most ethical way. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. We'll see how it pans out. We shall see. Um, sports, it is the big, biggest, I would say the Super Bowl is like the biggest American sporting event of the year, right? It's the biggest annual sporting event. I think World Cup because is probably Because it's yeah. one culminating event, whereas like, yes. you know, the World Series is a game, best of seven series. Hockey, best of seven series. All the um, other sports. NBA. NBA, I don't even know. Is best of seven? 
Um, it's still a series. I don't know if it's five or seven. Yeah. I think it changes. This is one game, five. four quarters, yep. 60 minutes, man. This is huge. So you've got uh, um, the Eagles and the Chiefs. Uh, ESPN predictor is giving it a 50-50 game right now. It's like leaning, what did I see, like a point and a half in favor of uh, Philly. But, uh, dude, I think – Sorry, Kansas City fans. I think Philly's going to win, and I kind of want them to win just because I'm a Bills fan. Uh, but you get to see two brothers play. Um, so the Kelsey brothers, one's on Philly, and obviously Travis Kelsey is is on uh, the Chiefs. But um, who do you got for this game? And do you have like do you have like a Super Bowl party or thing you guys do? We are actually going to at our clubhouse at our um, like by our pool. There's like a big TV in the living room down there. So we're all going to like wings and food and everything and hang out outside. The weather's supposed to be nice down here and then kind of watch it like at our pool and then like down there. So looking forward to nice. it actually. But in regards to like, I, I don't know, like com- coming from Pittsburgh, I'm like torn because like we don't, we're not really big Eagles fans coming from Pittsburgh. Well, right. But. <laughs> Also, you know, I don't know if I want to be loyal to PA or kind of like loyal to the Steelers and pull for Kansas City. I like watching Kansas City play. I mean, yeah. I like watching Mahomes as a quarterback. So, I mean, it's going to be a probably, fun game either way. Yeah. Two great offenses. Yep. So, I mean, that's really more what I'm looking forward to. It's funny. When I, w- when I was in, uh, I worked for Conway Freight in central PA, I'd get drivers that would come in from um, Pittsburgh and from Philly and they would, they would cross dock at our facility and like they would get in the biggest pissing matches and it's like, you're not even the same conference, but um, no. just the loyalty and yes, Eagles fans are crazy, man. They are like, uh, they're just the batteries. Mad. I think they're one of the few isn't I, they play at what soldiers. Um, what's the name of the stadium they play at? Or is that one gone? But it wasn't like the only stadium I think left that had a jail in it. Like literally had a jail in it. <laughs> I don't know. It, maybe. I think I heard I've, I, you might have said that before. I've heard it. I don't know if I don't know. It could they be. They talk about it on Pittsburgh radio all the time or on sports radio. Like, get, you know, basically Pittsburgh fans getting hit with batteries and just throwing random things on the field, <laughs> just crazy stuff. All right. So uh, I'm, I'm excited for the commercials. That's like always my favorite part. We'll, we'll be hosting a party here at our house and in Orchard Park. Um, all right. Let's give a shout out to our friends over at DAT and their new, the new upgrade to DAT1. And uh, we'll get into it. And DAT helps brokers remove uncertainty from freight transportation. The company's load board, DAT1, gives you everything needed to move freight easily in a single integrated freight management system from the industry's most trusted network of carriers, brokers, and shippers. With more than 500 million loads and trucks posted annually and three times more capacity than any other load board, DAT1 expands your carrier network provides timely and accurate pricing rates on every lane and allows brokers to cover loads 24-7. Check out the show notes for a free month of DAT1. I know Nate and I have been personally been using it for, I don't know, the better part of a decade. <laughs> so, Oh, yeah. And um, we, we will be drilling down with some tutorial stuff on how to best maximize all the new tools in DAT1 in the coming weeks and months here. So stay tuned for that stuff. We got some cool content coming out. Um, I know you you had a video that just dropped, I think, um, this week, right? Maybe today, Wednesday. Um, I've got yes. two that'll drop this month on um, basics of LTL and some stuff with um, ELDs, kind of some one-on-one level stuff for the folks that are newer trying to learn. So Keep consuming the content. We're going to keep pumping it out for you guys. 
So good stuff. All right. Um, well, we got a lot of questions here, so we're going to get right into it. Um, this first one I love, right? This is about how to value or evaluate the, you know, what's my book of business worth, right? So the, the guy wrote into us and said he's got a book of business that's doing about $7 million a year in top line sales. That's his gross revenue. And his commission on that is about 540K per year. We don't, and that doesn't really, you know, make a dip. We don't really care what his commission is. What we care about is the profit. And he wants to know what's his book worth. So we, you know, wrote back and asked him, well, what's your profit on that? And let's assume we'll go industry average. Let's say he's like 15%. All right. So that would put his, uh, his profit at, you know, a little over a million dollars a year, gross profit. So whenever you're trying to evaluate a business, you want to look at what is the bottom line profit on this book of business. So all expenses paid. So obviously our first big expense is going to be your carrier pay. So that's why you take the carrier pay out of it. You get your one point whatever million dollars in gross profit. Take out any other expenses, you know, your software fees, your electricity, whatever that is. Let's say he makes, you know, profits a million bucks. You would you would take a, uh, a multiplier of that, maybe three to five years worth. And that's what you could say, my business could be sold for X amount of money. That being said, have you ever seen somebody successfully sell a book of business? Ever? And here's the, here's the thing that I want to say is what Nate just said are like rules of thumb for selling any books of business, right? The three to five yeah, multiples, right? Or also on like companies too, right? And that would be a huge multiple for a book of business. And I've never seen a book of business sell, by the way. I've never seen one actually change hands. What I have seen is I have seen agreements where the person selling the book to the other person, it's usually a company. And usually that person has to stay on for a period of time and they just make payments back to the person until eventually. And, and the way that's done in like a normal business would be like the seller of the business holds the note on the yeah, It's like owner financing. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly what it is. Owner financing. Like, hey, I'm not going to give you, even if the number is, hey, this business does a million dollars a year. I'm not going to give you $2 million cash right now. Because again, where does most of this value in all of these and all of these books of business lies in one very significant place? And this is why they don't change hands that much is they're in the relationship. It's in the relationship between the person and the company. And that's also why most big brokerages, when somebody leaves, they'll do what they can, but they don't even expect to retain most of it. They try, but they know they're going to lose some of it when this relationship changes. That's exactly right. So I'm going to give you two ends of the spectrum here. Um, We see brokerages buy other brokerages all the time, and they have to put an evaluation on it. But that being said... It's not like a key p- person in that organization is getting a paycheck and leaves. It's the ownership of the full business gets moved. So let's say you've got a, a brokerage that's got 50 employees and the ownership is changing from you know one investor to another investor, right? They're not involved in the day-to-day business. They're not the account manager, none of that, right? They will assume that this growing business that has nothing to do with the current owner will still continue to be successful and grow under new ownership. You can expect there'll be turnover in customers, but with a solid business plan, that turnover is replaced and even outdone by the growth from new business development, stuff like that. So we do see larger brokerages that get bought and sold 
quite frequently, but it's not like the person selling it is the one that's out there making the phone calls and maintaining customer relationships most of the time. Okay. So keep that in mind. The other end of the spectrum is when you have a broker who it is their book of business, it is their customer base that they work with personally that says, I want to retire and get out of this business. How do I do this in a way where I can make some money by transferring it? And it's not a one-time sale and then you're out the door. It's like, hey, we're going to do this over like the next three to five years. I'm going to transition from me to both of us to then just mostly you to just you as the main point of contact with these customers. And it's not like I bought it off for you and then it that's it. It's like you said, kind of like more of like an owner finance situation. I've seen I have seen this happen successfully where the newer person comes in, they start doing a lot of the work and then as that original seller in this if you want to use that term in this case, um, as they start to exit, they are receiving a residual percentage of the of the book of business's profit over maybe 3 to 5 years until they're fully out the door. What have you seen as percentages over that period of time? Uh, I've seen it as like a trailing, like a step down commission. So it's going to start out where, hey, we're going to split the profits in half. And then maybe the next year it's going to be 40% and then 30 and then 20 and then 10 or something like that. Um, But by doing that, it's enticing whoever is the quote unquote seller. They have a vested interest still on the success of that book of business. So if they want to make money off of the quote unquote sale of their book, they've got to make sure that they put in their their time and effort to make sure it does successfully transition if they want to get paid. Because if they just just switch hands, you're going to lose likely at least half your book of business just due to personal relationships on day one. And that does nobody any good. Um yeah. But like five years is kind of what I've seen is like a, a, a fairly solid way of doing it. I have even seen somebody who, and I don't know why they agreed to it, they agreed to a perpetuity commission to the original seller. And it's like, well, they could have been in business for five years and then for 50 years afterward, they're getting commission yeah. on relationship they don't even really have anymore. So I would definitely put put a time limit on it, maybe three to five years and have some sort of commission split tied to it. So the seller is incentivized to, to make sure that the transition happens successfully. So that's the big takeaway. I know that wasn't the question, um, but that's our, that's our take. That's our answer to that scenario is sure. We can put a number on it, but there's a lot we don't know. We don't know the margin percentage. We don't know how fast the customers are paying. We don't know how much turnover that book of business has seen every year or two years. Uh, but those are just general rules of thumb. If you're trying to transition a book of business or sell a brokerage is you got to look at how stable is it and how, how likely is it to maintain its, its normal structure and operation if it changes hands. Is there going to be relationships that have to be there? Otherwise, the business will not continue. So, Well, and the other part of this that's very also hard to quantify and hard to transition is the carrier base would likely to some degree need transferred with the customers, right? Because a lot of that inherent value are the relationships this broker has with the carriers that have hopefully been running some of this freight consistently and predictably, right? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into this, but I think it is doable if you find the right person and the right home for it. And you're willing to, again, stay on with it for a period of time to transition it. I know people that do roll up these other businesses. They do it with like 
um, which are getting more popular now, like the baby boomer businesses, the traditional plumbers, the traditional carpenters, the traditional HVAC repairmen, where you know somebody doesn't want to buy their, their kid just don't want to be in the business. So they're selling it to somebody that will roll it into their company. But again, they almost always make the person selling the business stay on for a year or at the very least have a walk back period of like two years. So if something does go wrong, you're not left paying some company. And meanwhile, the customers aren't even there anymore. And you've got yep. no revenue from it. Exactly. Good discussion though. All right, next question. What is a broker shipper contract and where can I get one? Um, so this is actually, this is the one of the ones we talked about at the beginning of the show. Um, whenever I've seen and used a broker shipper contract, it comes from the shipper. It comes from our customer and they tend to have their terms that they want us to agree to. The same way that we're going to be the one that writes up the contract between us and the carrier. Uh, have you ever seen what? Have you ever had a customer ask you to provide a shipper broker contract? No, just credit application. Um, yeah, credit application. That sure. Yeah, that, and to be honest, cover like payment terms. Yeah, and to be honest, like I wouldn't. I mean, yes, it is a broker shipper agreement, but it is more a shipper agreement, and usually shippers have an asset one and a brokerage one. Because of what is that map 21 that makes it illegal to be treated as an asset carrier if you don't own assets? Yeah. Yep. So a good rule of thumb. In a little over 10 years ago, I want to say. But I guess the point is, and I think for anyone out there is when you are starting to work with a shipper, you do want to ask them, hey, do you have an agreement you need us to execute? Or what are your procedures? Because you want to know them. You also want to ask, even if they don't have an agreement, or what are your insurance requirements? What are your requirements for all of your carriers? Now, usually a smaller shipper might just have one written for assets. So you're going to want to redline everything in that document that treats you like an asset-based carrier and write the word brokerage in there. Yeah. And that's usually how the whole process goes out. Yeah. So to answer the question, what is it? It's it's a legal agreement that's put in place between a shipper and a transportation provider, in this case, a freight broker that outlines the duties and responsibilities of each. And it'll talk about um, liability and what kind of insurance policies they require for their transportation providers to carry. It might have some things in there about um, waivers of subrogation. Uh, basically, hey, if X, X happens, you can't come back to us and try to sue us. You know, you've waived that right. Um, it'll have, it might even have a list of like what they'll pay for as far as accessorials or tonu. I mean, any, anything, right? It could cover, there's, there's not like a standard template for it. Um, I mean, you could probably find a generic template, but there's not like a standard version that every company has to use. It's really dependent on what that shipper's uh, MO is. So like, for example, we had a customer like six or seven years ago, I remember setting them up and the contract process to go through the shipper broker agreement took like six months because they moved a lot of heavy construction equipment for like um, project-based construction sites. And there were so like, it literally at first it started with like, you know, the broker's responsible to carry liability insurance to cover like accidents on the work site. Like if, a, if someone unloading the truck like gets yeah. hurt, you know, and it's like, whoa, like we have, there's a reason we're a broker and not an actual motor carrier or someone on the job site. Like our job is not, is not to do that part. We're the one that's going to coordinate it. So we should not be written in here as a liable party for an accident on the job site that has nothing to do with our decision or with our you know, with anything that we've done or influenced. So 
Um, and I think that's a good point. A good point for everyone out there is almost every single one. In fact, I would be surprised if not all of them aren't this way is they're all written by the attorneys paid for by the shipper. They either work for the shipper or they were paid and contracted by the shipper to come up with this. So everything in there is written to protect the shipper, not the provider. It is not written equally. It's not like two attorneys sat down and went and negotiated it to make sure it was equal. It is just the shipper's attorney went through and tried to think of every single thing that could go wrong and every single thing they could make themselves not responsible for and push it onto you. So you do want to read through these things. Exactly. Um, all right. Where can I start as an agent with no book of business? Uh, I, man, I get this question so much and I, we're going to expand on this too, right? Whether you want to be an agent or you want a broker, um, let's talk through what that career path might look like. So in one aspect, if you're going to, if you want to be a, an agent or an independent contractor for a brokerage, the majority of the big companies out there, they, they don't want to have to train you. They don't, have accounts to assign to you. They just want you to come in and move your book of business to them. And then they'll, they'll support your operation and your growth and all that. And that's like literally the companies that you and I both work for. That's part of that business model, right? We're not going to take someone off the street who's got no experience or no, no customer base and say, all right, let's, you know, let's pay you a lot of money and, you know, we'll do, do all the work for you and hold your hand. Um, you know, there's, I mean, there's a lot of business coaching that goes into it and assistance, but, um, you're not going to find a lot of those opportunities with no experience or no customer base. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you got all your large big box brokerages that will say, we want someone out of college who we can train from scratch, fresh. We're going to pay you a salary, very much smaller commission percentage, but we're going to train you. We'll weed out the ones that don't make it. And you're going to learn through our proven training method, how to be successful in this industry. Right. And now someone says, but I'm, I'm in the middle. Like, I don't want to go work for a big box brokerage. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to have a non-solicit, non-compete. I, I want to be a 1099 agent, but I don't have a book of business. Where do I start? Well, that's all the, all the other brokerages out there that aren't, the big box that are advertising for entry level, and they're not the big agent companies that want experienced folks. It's the ones that aren't advertising. You got to go out there and network with them. You'd be surprised at how many people in, in our Facebook group alone that are looking to bring on folks and coach and guide them as agents in their company. And yeah. so there's there's one, one answer to the question is go in our Facebook group and just say, hey, I want to get started with somebody and straight commission. I'll go out there, hustle and grind. I don't have a book yet, but I want to do it. Who's looking to bring on agents? And I would be willing to bet that you know, ninety nine point nine percent chance you'll get a handful of people that'll want to talk to you about it. So, the same way that you go out there and you got to hunt down business and new customers or a new carrier to add to your carrier base. If you want to be an agent for a company and you don't have a book and you want to go, you know, try to prove yourself and, and strike out on your own, go out there and propose that to some smaller brokerages out there, right? Hey, very low risk. You don't have to pay me a salary. Just give me access to everything. And I'm going to go out there and, and prove what I'm worth. And if it doesn't work in four to six weeks, if I'm not, make, not making progress, we can have a conversation about it. Um, here's, here's the thing I'll point out. Say, what's your take? That's all just sales. If you can't sell yourself to a company and your hustle, the likelihood you're ever going to be able to sell freight brokerage services to a shipper is pretty low. 
So yep. again, it's the same job, except that instead of you starting to prospect shippers, you're going to prospect brokers. You're going to call them and you're going to pitch them on why they should hire you and why you're going to do more than the average person, why you're a better bet than the average person, and why it's worth them to invest their time and effort into you while you establish these things, right? Like, yep. And again, like everything else, that is a great place to start because if you can do that, you're much more inclined and your ability to actually get customers is probably pretty higher too. Yeah. And lastly, I'll say on that, um, I have seen and I've talked to some of the owners of some, some brokerages out there that are agent-based that they will bring on a like a training class of new agents and they'll interview you. Like they want to know what's your sales background and, you know, kind of get a read on how successful they think you could potentially be if they if they try to um, give you the right material and coaching. And they'll bring on a small class every couple months of like uh, new agents at a much lower commission rate than if they were experienced, but say, hey, we're going to bring on 10 or 12 of you guys and we're going to go through some basic training stuff on brokerage and then kind of you know let you loose to the wolves to go out there and hunt and make prospecting calls. Um, they're out there. Uh, I'm not going to drop any names. I didn't get permission to do that from from any of these in particular, but they're out there. I've talked to these folks before, and it's a very high turnover, like you know, like any other massive hiring operation. Uh, their goal is to, you know, maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna bring on 20 to 30, 40 folks this year and hope that like two really, really do well and stick, and the rest, you know, they don't make it. We cut them, or they decide on their own that it's not for them. So, but they do exist. They're out there. So good stuff. All right. Next question. Can I open a freight brokerage in Mexico? Let's expand this. Can you open up a freight brokerage outside the United States? 100%. Yes. Yep. 100%. We, we, we work with folks all over. I've seen them in uh, Canada, Mexico, Guatemala, um, Colombia, Ukraine. Venezuela. Ukraine. Venezuela. Yeah. I mean, you got a client in Venezuela, right? Turkey. Yep. Um, where else? Uh, Estonia. Pakistan before. Yes, I've got a client in India. Um, yeah, so there's plenty of them. I had a group in Australia, actually, and um, they were really, really wanting to set up a brokerage operation. And I kind of talked them out of it because I was like, you got to like, you guys got to think like the time oh, difference. The time zone. You're going to be working it's like, all night. <laughs> they, they didn't even think about it. They're like, well... You know, you know, we don't want to work overnight. And I'm like, well, that's when, like, yes, that's like work. when stuff's happening in the states. So, but let's break down the logistics of it. No pun intended. Um, in order to establish a brokerage and get your DOT number and your MC number in the United States to broker American freight, you have got to have either a social security number or a. Actually, no, you have to have an employee. You have to have a tax ID. Mm-hmm. Right. So you've got to you you got to, to establish a business, you're gonna to have to be able to get an employee ID number, a tax ID number, which requires you to be either a US citizen or there's a special process to apply to open a US business if you're not an American citizen. Um and it involves similar to how we use a process agents for brokerage to represent us in legal matters, you've got to have a legal representative and a legal address in the US. And for any business, whether it's brokerage or whatever, if you're a foreigner, there are plenty of services out there that you can pay and they'll walk you through step by step to get you your tax ID as a foreign resident or as a foreign um, non-resident. They'll help you get a like a P.O. box established to have mail to be delivered in the U.S. And then you'll have to get a U.S. bank account as well so you can invoice, receive funds and pay carriers 
um, in American dollars, uh, you could definitely do it. Um, keep in mind that your where you're located, probably the biggest impact outside of any language barrier, if you if you don't speak very well English, is going to be that time zone difference and just your general understanding of how the United States economy and transportation system works. So if you're not tied in and tuned into how the U.S. operates and what's kind of like a, a cultural norm here, you might have a little bit of uh, a learning curve there until you're fully up and you know up to speed on it. But Mexico, 100%, absolutely. We we move freight in and out of Mexico from the U.S. So that's that's a very common thing. So um, you probably would add a lot of value to some of those shippers and like, those cross border. Yeah, um, like Laredo, McAllen, Texas, uh, Nogales, all that stuff. Tijuana. I've had folks in Tijuana before. Um, yeah. I mean, any other thoughts on being outside the U.S. and trying to establish a U.S. business? No, I think you covered everything, to be honest. Good stuff. All right. Next. Well, it's tax time. Um, we got this question last year as well. well. We will reiterate it. Do I have to send 1099s out to every carrier that's hauled for me? So if you don't understand what that means, um, in the independent contract world, if you have subcontracted somebody or if you contracted somebody to do something for you and you've paid them, is it $600 or more? If you pay them $600 or more, you would issue a 1099 that states how much you've paid them. So like if you're a gig worker like Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, whatever, if you made over $600 in a year, you'll get a 1099 from them. It's similar to like a W-2 if you're an employee. Now, I will read for you the IRS regulation. Um, So the IRS regulation 1.6041-3C exempts payments for freight services, in quotes, from the general requirement for payers to issue Form 1099 to independent contractors and others with which they do business. Thus, trucking companies need not issue form 1099s owner operators that are under lease for freight hauling services. Uh, The same applies to farmers making payments in connection with trucking or hauling of livestock, grain, other farm products. Uh, No form 1099 is required. And uh, yeah, so any freight, so I mean, that goes, that'll, that'll cover down on brokerage. Could you imagine how many 1099s would have to be sent out every year? I mean, think about if you use like 1200 carriers. Yeah, I can't imagine what that paperwork would look like. Also for the IRS. I mean, just all of it. It would just be ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, there's your regulation. We, we answered it last year. We had to do some digging on it because I'll be honest, I've, I've never worked in the accounting department for a brokerage. So I didn't really know. And I had to ask, uh, our, I had to ask my accounting director what the, what the status was. And she's like, no. We don't, but I wanted to know why and where the regulation came from. That's why I did the research on it. So um, if you don't believe me, go ahead and uh, Google it. So, all right. And one doubt on tax stuff, ask your tax professional. You should have a tax professional. You should have um, a an insurance professional, all that stuff. Because you want to be good at one thing and not try to be an expert that wears all the hats. Because you won't be an expert at everything. Um. Next question. With burnout being so real, how can we lower turnover in our industry? So let's just talk about burnout. What do, what have you historically seen? Like what would you consider burnout to be in the in the career of a freight broker? Like what are some of just the basic things maybe you experienced or you've seen um, maybe assistants or coaching clients go through with with burnout? 
It's pretty, I mean, it's very common in our industry. I mean, to be honest, most of it, I think the source of it are usually just companies that honestly kind of, I don't know, push all of the workload onto their brokers. That's usually where you see the most burnout. Guys that are, you know, running cradle to the grave, cradle to the grave brokerages that have like, you know, pretty low commission splits. So they've got to put up massive volumes. And to do that, you need a lot of hours. And to be able to do that, like there's just no way to make real money unless you're working 50, 60 hours a week. And like I've worked in one of those jobs. And to be honest, I'd say even the successful people don't tend to stay there more than three to five years because yep. of that. Um, and again, I think also a lot of the operations people in some of these companies also get burned out because of the companies. I mean, hey, they're doing everything they can to squeeze every bit of profit out of every single person. So the hours and the workload is pretty high. I think the solutions are things we talk about, like the things that Pierce does. I mean, they try to maintain what at like 50, 60% capacity to every employee so that as work increases, ebbs and flows, they're not pushing that limit where a lot of other companies do the exact opposite. Like they want their teams to be producing at like 25% above where they are at peak. And like, that's like part of their operating procedures. Like, hey, if you've yeah. got three people on your team, you've got to be able to do 25% more business for three months before we give you a fourth person. And like, when you work in these scenarios, like it is, I feel like impossible in the long run to avoid burnout because that's the way the positions are structured. Yeah, this is all about balance. And this is really important to set an expectation for yourself if you're in a brokerage position where you're selling. It's important if you're a team leader. It's important if you're a supervisor or an owner of a company because it's going to affect you as the, you know, having pressure as the, as the leader, but also affect your, you know, your team members and their performance and their just their mental state and what their thoughts are on the job. So for example, one of the biggest, I think, well, one of the biggest times you'll see burnout in brokerages, people get burnt out of cold calling, right? Prospecting. It's like, oh my God, I got to make 500 calls this week. So I think if you can shift your mindset to, to more of like an intentionality instead of just intensity, but just like, you know, intentionality about how you structure your day and how you set expectations. So if you say, I'm going to spend X amount of time, it's blocked out to do prospecting, right? You know that when that time is up, you know, if you made 50 calls or you made 80 calls, you made 30 calls, you spent two hours and whether or not you, you leaned into it is on you to, you know, take a look in the mirror, but you got to have other time in your day that is can, comprised of tasks, tasks and duties that are not going to lead you down that burnout path. And that's going to be stuff like, is as stupid as it sounds, I used to like take walks throughout the day with guys in the office like hey let's go get, yes. get some steps in let's take a couple laps around the parking lot or on the warehouse whatever um it just helps you break up your day and like kind of get some mental clarity and then i'd spend another part of my day doing some administrative stuff or just doing some stuff in the crm um and then i'd have a period of time where i was like let's go let's just freaking hammer calls out yes i think i mean i probably walked around that building i don't know 10 15 times a day like Every, at least once an hour, <laughs> like walk around, get outside, stretch my legs, shake off like my frustrations. Like you do need to do that. I would also say like the, probably the one of the biggest things we work on in coaching with this is delegation. 
And the biggest reason people end up in burnout is because they've waited too long to hire and get some things off their plate. Um, I mean, we've had quite a few people reach out to us over the years that have been in this situation. They're working 60 hours a week. Their customers are expecting them to maintain the same level of service. And they basically build a prison of their own making, meaning they don't have any more hours in the week to train somebody. They aren't willing to hire somebody and they're not willing to reduce their workload to free up the time to hire somebody. And that scenario, like you're driving towards a wall, regardless, you're going to hit it eventually. Whether something's got to give and something's something will have. Yes. Your personal life, your mental health, your physical health, all of it. And again, I think that's a lot related to just the way the industry runs. Like you're hustling and you're working hard to try to grow your book of business, but eventually like You've got to also look at what you said. Like, I think balance is a a difficult way to look at it because when you think balance, you think equal, you think like eight hours at work, eight hours of sleep, eight hours of play, but like, it's never going to be equivalent. There's never really a balance. I really like, and I don't remember whoever said this, but he's like, you're really looking for harmony in your life, right? Mm -hmm. You may have a little more here some days and a little more of this. You're not really looking for the equivalent across the board. It's that you're looking for everything to play together, right? Is your personal life benefiting from the extra work you're doing and vice versa? Do you feel you're pushing burnout? Okay, well, look at what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Look at how you're doing this. Are you overworked or are you just inefficient? Have you worked with somebody else that can help you get better at some of these things to free up time? Because again, everybody, myself included, when you're in this zone and you're in this work, it is very hard to see what's outside it because you're in it. That's really yeah. where any coach or mentor can come in and sit next to you and talk for you and go, hey, here are some things that can free up some of your, I guess, really like well-being, right? Because that's what you're trying to do at the end of the day. Reduce this burnout, which is really getting closer to, like you said, harmony or balance in your life. So one of the things, this is specific to me, and it's going to be a little different for everybody, but some of the most like effective times I have in business is either in the middle of a, a vacation or right after a vacation. So like, um, you know, in the past, I would just take time off of work, go out of town for a week and come back, batteries fully recharged and just just ready to go. Um, now working remote from home, um, I could take longer trips, but I, I work when I'm gone. And so like about a month, I'm about a month and a half out from doing a three week stint down in Florida uh, with my family and getting to see my my parents that live in Florida and uh, my brother's going to tag along for a week. My wife's got a cousin that's going to go for a week. And um, man, I just get so relaxed and like I'm way more effective and I'm way more efficient in work because what I, you know, what I've been doing all winter long in the cloudy, cold, freaking Western New York weather and atmosphere and just environment, like I get a fresh change of scenery like the air smells different as soon as there's palm trees around me. And, um, you know, you just get a good, you get the batteries recharged. And I'm like, let's go, like, let's do this. So I think, and for, for everyone, it might be something different. It could be like, take a long weekend and go hiking or something or go do, I don't, whatever it, whatever it is that you like to do to like, just recharge your batteries. Well, that for me has always been a burnout preventer or fixer. Mother nature. I've been reading a lot on this in the past couple of months is one of the best things you could do anywhere. It doesn't really even matter with the weather. It's just being out in mother nature without staring at your phone, without listening to a podcast, without playing something to distract yourself and just being outside 
does a tremendous amount of good for your mental well-being. Yeah. <laughs> Just walking around, being outside, take a walk through the woods, walk through the neighborhood, don't put in your AirPods and just be present out there definitely helps. Yep. And Mother Nature could be different for everybody. It could be mountains for some people, lakes for others, the beach for some people. I mean, whatever whatever it is for you, there's uh, there's something to be said about it. Um, all right, we got, we got some more to do here. But uh, first, I'm going to give a shout out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. Lean is the industry leader in nearshore staffing operations with offices in South America and elsewhere around the globe, including freight broker back office operations, accounting, tech development, business development, marketing, customer service, and many other positions. To learn more about the vast solutions Lean has to offer your freight brokerage or agency, visit them online at www.leangroup.com. That's L-E-A-N group.com. Funny side note, I heard a stand-up comedian that was like, I like, I don't understand what with abbreviations these days and blah, blah, blah. He's like, we're going backwards. And everyone looked confused and he's like, what does WWW mean? And someone's like, World Wide Web. He's like, how many syllables is World Wide Web? Three. How many syllables is WWW? It was like nine. It's like, we use an acronym to make it longer. Uh, but could you imagine saying worldwideweb.leangroup.com? Yeah. It would sound weird. Good stuff. All right, back at it. Um, I'm starting a brokerage and I'm hiring some guys that I know to do cold calling while I handle the back office duties. How do I pay? How much commission should I pay them? Well, we could talk about paying them commission, but I don't like this guy's business model. So if I'm starting a brokerage, I'm not going to hire the one revenue producing task and I'm not going to hire someone to do the one revenue producing task for the business, which is to make cold calls and sell while I just manage it. And I've seen people attempt that way too many times. It doesn't work. It doesn't why would work. why does anyone care about your business as much as you do? They they don't. They just don't. Yeah, that's the other hard part is that like, again, the sales piece is the only one that's actually going to make a difference. And to be honest, the guys that you're hiring, well, we don't know what you would be paying them. So I'm assuming if you're hiring them, you're paying them something other than just commission. Maybe you're not. Um, but it's, yeah, he didn't. I don't think he said if he was, there's a base in this one. So if there's no base, I don't know, 25%. But again, I don't know who knows more. Like, do the people coming in to do the cold calling know what they're doing? Or does the guy who doing the back office teaching them? Like, what does that look like? Because that's really what I think here. And I think a good another way to approach this for everyone out there is this number is usually arrived at based on what the person gets, meaning the sales guy in this example, right? So is the sales guy getting training or not getting training? That's a big factor in what their commission is. Do they also have a base salary? If they do or they don't is going to affect their commission. Do they yep. have benefits? Those are the three major things. And then usually what they're being provided. Are they being provided a computer? Are they being provided a load board? Are they being provided a CRM? Is the sales rep coming up with that? If the sales rep is coming up with all of these things, they need to find their own training. They need to learn how to do the job. They need to do all of this. At that point, I mean, I don't know, 50%. But again, it's really hard to tell because we don't know what any of the other variables are. Yeah. So let me talk. I'll talk you through what I've seen be successful. Um, Someone starts a brokerage or maybe they run an agency, whatever it is, and they single-handedly 
make it successful and they get it to a certain point where it's healthy. Okay. That's step one. Before you start hiring someone to do sales, you need to perfect the sales first and make sure your business is running smooth. Because when you get to that point, not only are you a, a quality, talented expert in that to be able to teach others, but you also understand the profitability of your company, which will let you know how much you can pay somebody, right? So then you go to hire somebody. Don't just take someone that's not experienced and throw them on the phones. They got to learn the business, right? They've got to learn what you're doing, why what you do matters to the big picture. So like, hey, why do you send a rate confirmation, right? Oh, well, it's because it outlines the pickup, the delivery, accessorial fees, uh, you know, any notes, right? That's how we do this. Okay, why do you do check calls and GPS tracking? Well, we do that because we need to give timely updates to our customer, but, you know, all that stuff, right? So you start them off and they can learn the basics, track and trace, um, you know, like your check calls, sending out rate confirmations. And maybe, you know, that's just a, a flat base pay while they're training. And then maybe you add some more tasks on their plate. Like, hey, I'm going to have you um, sending out carrier packets and I'm going to have you calling carriers to find out, you know, their capacity and availability. Or um, maybe I'll have you posting loads on the load boards and talking to drivers about what the market looks like. And then once you understand how this business operates, I'm going to have you start working on some of my customer facing things. So you understand how it's different when you talk to a customer and what's important to them versus what's important to a carrier when you talk to them. And then if all that goes well and you're doing good at that point, I'm going to get you on the phones and I'll coach you through questions to ask, how you can open up conversations, how you can let the conversation flow, how to overcome objections. And then once you're comfortable doing that, boom, you can go be a cradle to grave broker and you can go out there and, hammer stuff on the phone and do your own thing. At which point, if you want to go straight commission, I'll give you a higher percentage, maybe that 50% or 40, whatever it is. And like you said, depends on what you're giving them. Are you giving them access, like free access to load boards and TMS or, you know, are they paying for some of it? Um, and if you want, if they're going to be a salary plus commission, well, you got to balance, you got to have some kind of balance between the higher the salary, the lower the commission percentage or the higher the commission, the lower the salary. And there's, you know, there's some kind of balance in there. Um, again, that's one path you can take to get somebody trained up and, and into your business as a new sales rep. But just to say, I'm going to start a brokerage, hire sales guys to go produce revenue. I don't think you're going to succeed. So I want to warn you before you go out and do that, I wouldn't recommend it. Become an expert yourself and then add to your team. And because you're going to know, you know, when, once you've done it yourself, you're going to know the kind of person that and the qualities they need to have to be able to do what you've already done yourself successfully. So, and the other question is who's getting the trucks once they get the customers, right? Like there's just so many unknowns. Every time I keep looking at this, I'm just like, I, yeah, I said, just so cold calling customers. I'll handle the back office. You're right. Yeah. Who's, who's out there slinging trucks. So yeah, man, crazy. You'd be surprised though. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are like, oh, I'm just going to get licensed and, you know, go make a bunch of money. There's a lot that goes into building a business. And there's a lot of nuances in freight brokerage that um, you don't really know until you've done it all yourself. So, I mean, I still learn every day. I learn something yes. new almost every single day about this industry. It's crazy. But uh, good stuff. Couldn't agree man. with you more. What's that? Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's something to point out, too, is like you should have a, a thirst for knowledge and a continual learning. I know we started off the episode today talking about new, like, you know, new stuff in AI and technology. And it's those who strive to stay up to speed with what's currently going on and all the new emerging technology. Those are the ones that won't be falling behind and trying to play catch up. Right. They're, yes. they're leading the pack. They're the, the spearhead of logistics. Um, you know, I would say it's probably way. one of the number one indicators that somebody's going to be successful in anything is curiosity, right? Like yep. act like a three-year-old. Why? Why? Why, dad? Why? I'm yep. like, if you can encourage somebody to do that, they're going to be fantastic at prospecting. They're going to be fantastic at anything because again, that's what you need to learn. You have to be curious to want to ask the question before you get the answer. And usually the people that are curious care way more about the question. So they tend to remember the answer, right? Like that's be it. curious, be hungry. Those are the attributes you're looking for. Absolutely. Well, there's another episode in the books of Freight 360. What was today? 178. We're closing in on that 200, man. We got yeah. like a special. Remember, we I think we had Trey on for number 100 and he, we didn't even know it was 100 until we're like, oh, episode 100 is a big one, but. We'll see. We should do something or maybe do a giveaway or something. Well, let us know what you guys think. Keep sending us your questions. If you have a topic that you want to want to uh, recommend that we we talk about or if you got, um, you know, just any feedback, let us know. Leave those reviews. Send us a message through the contact form at Freight360.net or just email us. It's info at Freight360.net. Get a hold of us. And if you are an agent with a book of business and you're looking for a new home, you can reach out to myself at business to business logistics or reach out to Nate or both of us at info at freight360.net. Absolutely. That, something to, mm-hmm. to point out, right, is um, there's a lot of different agent based companies out there. And I talk to folks a lot of time that, that come to me and I often refer them to a different company because I'm like, yeah, you know, we're not we're not the best fit for you. And I think there's something to be said when, you know, you're not being sold all the time by a company you do business with, right? They should have, for lack of better terms, like they should have the mentality of like a a coach or a teacher when it comes to approaching that stuff. Like the same goes with working with a customer, right? If we're not a good fit, we should determine that and we'll, you know, point you in the right direction. Um, Like I've pointed people to, you know, they weren't quite ready ready yet to be an agent. They wanted a different situation. So I've pointed them in other directions. that's important to take away. So let us know yep. though, and we'll uh, we could definitely talk to you and see if we have an option for you. And if not, we can point you in the right direction. For sure. Good stuff. Hey, by the way, Ben, your uh, your Henry Ford quote. Yeah. I I I heard someone else say it the other day, and they said it's what was it? If you think you're right. Or if you think you're wrong, or no. If you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But you say whether, whether you believe whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. It's the same concept. Yeah, believe, think. Yeah, Henry Ford. That's a good one, though. You got any other cool proverbs for today? You're always a quote guy. I got two I wrote down recently. I was going to wait till I could fit them in appropriately, but there are two that I told you last week. I'm rereading um, Phil Knight's memoir, the founder of Nike. And mm-hmm. the three that I wrote down actually from last night when I was reading it was, um, I love this one. Is, and they say it often. He's like, the cowards never started. The weak died long ago. That just leaves us. 
And I was like, <laughs> every time he says it, I was like, that's pretty badass. I was like, I don't know where that's appropriate, but I was, I'm writing that one down. That's the good. other one was, um, oh, and this was a quote by Steve Prefontaine, who was like, you know, huge, like one of the fastest runners in the early 70s. He was the first Nike sponsored runner, ended up dying in a car crash. But anyway, one of his quotes was he had said it was when he lost, I think, the 74 Olympics or something he was expected to win. He said, somebody may beat me, but by God, they're going to have to bleed to do it. Ooh. And I was like, that's pretty badass, too. And I'm like, and then the third one was actions express priority. And I've used that on like four coaching calls in the past week where somebody tells me this is the most important thing. But when you look at what they're doing every day, you're like, no. The most important thing to you is what you did. The most important thing that we talked about didn't even hit your desk. Like you didn't do it at all. Don't tell me that's your priority. That's why the old saying of, you know, talk is cheap. You know, that's where it comes from. Like, show me, don't tell me, right? Your actions express your real priorities. And you can't do like uh, ish, right? Like if you want to prospect, you got to prospect. Don't like prospect ish. I'm a kind of prospect. Yep. That's a good one, man. That's all from the, is that all from the Nike? Yeah, book? shoe dog. The other interesting thing was, Italian, I know we were on a little bit long, was um, I was reading Paul Graham. He's a famous uh, f- uh, tech investor and founder of YC. And he talks a lot about that specific thing right there. Like um, your priorities, like aren't necessarily your priorities and they also change. But a good rule of thumb that he uses is, If you have to choose between two things almost always in your life, if you just pick the harder one, you'll have a better life. He's like, because to be honest, the only reason you're considering the other one is because you're probably being lazy. And if you really ask yourself honestly, you'll probably get that answer, right? Should I prospect or should I call this customer to talk to them about this issue? You know what you should do. Should I go for a run or should I watch the Netflix TV? You know what you should be doing. You're yeah, hard, just hard big. work is hard work <laughs> is very, very rarely uh, enjoyable at you know when you're doing it. But the outcome and you know what you, the reward you reap from it is definitely worth its uh, weight in gold. So. so the other one, right? Do what's easy every day, and the rest of your life is going to get very difficult. Do what's hard every day, and the rest of your life will get much easier. Just That's boil it. it down to that every single day, and you'll have a pretty decent life. Love it. Well, good episode. We'll see you guys next week, Ben. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week.